from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 137 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. For the last several weeks, we have asked you to submit your vote for your favorite Ministry Monday episode of 2020. Just like we did last year, we are going to share the fan favorite episode from this year and showcase it in January. So email us and let us know which episode you liked the most. And if you can't remember the title, simply describe the topic to us and we can help. Email us with your vote at ministrymonday at npm.org. Today, January 11th, is the deadline. So get your email in and tune in next week to see which one received the most votes. So today is the week of the baptism of our Lord. And yet my mind is starting to think forward again. After almost a year of what in the world are we going to do next week, much less next month, I feel prepared to make plans for the rest of ordinary time and Lent. And yet there are so many unknowns we need to consider. How do we celebrate the Feast of St. Blaise, for example, and the Blessing of Throats this year, I thought to myself. What about the distribution of ashes on Ash Wednesday? These are just a few of the many questions that began to swirl around in my head, as I'm sure they are for you as well. Whether we have addressed it or not yet, the upcoming months will be a blend of pastoral considerations within normal expectations, along with a myriad of health and safety considerations that we would most likely not normally consider for the ordinary time in Lenten season. But how do we plan? What do we do? So I called Father Paul Turner to share his wisdom and expertise with us. Father Paul Turner is a pastor of the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Kansas City, Missouri. A priest of the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, he holds a doctorate in sacred theology from Santa Anselmo in Rome. Father Paul has written numerous books with liturgical press, world library publications, and liturgy training publications, and he serves as a facilitator for the International Commission on English in the Liturgy. When it comes to finding a blend between the pastoral and practical needs of a community while also considering the guidelines set forth by the church, Father Paul is an excellent resource. Now, before I begin my interview with Father Paul, let me give one very important disclaimer. While Father Turner provides 
excellent reflections in light of church teaching and the documents as to how to best proceed during these next few months of the pandemic. His advice is not intended to replace any guidance from your local diocese. Please defer to any local diocesan guidance and contact your local diocesan office for clarification on what would be best within your local context. How are you? I'm, I'm well, I am. What about you? How are you? Yeah, doing good. Doing great. Thanks. Good, good. Thank you for being willing to talk right now. Um, you know, I, I'm so grateful every time that you want to speak and are willing to speak on Ministry Monday, but especially right now, I see constantly um, in closed, you know, church organists, pastoral music groups, people asking things like, what are you doing for Lent? What are you doing for Ash Wednesday in light of COVID-19? And so when I, of course, I always get your emails, but whenever I got the email about the blessing of throats and the distribution of ashes, I thought, oh my gosh, this would be such a good thing to take just a few minutes and discuss. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Great. So you know, as we start, how have things been in your diocese? I, I don't know that anything's been unusual here. We have had the, uh, the same cautions in place that most everybody else. Mm -hmm. One of the features of a diocese like ours is it crosses many municipalities. So we we ha have to abide by different rules in our churches depending on where they where they are. Mm. So some occupancy rules are more intense than others because uh, we're half urban, half rural, and it's it's just just very difficult for the diocesan administration to keep on top of it all. But they've done done remarkably well, and you know the municipalities can change county and cities within counties. It's just <laughs> It's just very, very complex, mm -hmm. but uh, but I but all in all, I, I think we've done uh, a good job weathering it, and um, we're we're anxious to get to a point where we can get things back. Everybody is. I'm sure. I'm sure. I think all of us are. <laughs> yeah. If you're anything like me, I know that I'm starting to look forward to ordinary time, and of course, Lent. And so as we look towards, especially Lent in particular, this is our second Lenten season under the lens of COVID-19. Yeah. Are there any lessons that we could sit with and reflect with that we learned from last year that can help us be pastoral and consider this Lenten season? You know, I, think, I think a lot of us have, um, a lot of us entered the, the, the COVID season midway through Lent. Uh, so some people don't even remember Ash Wednesday was normal last year. That's true. Holy Week was not. Um, so I, I think Lent in general, I mean, Lent was made for COVID. You know, we're, we're all doing without things we're, we're accustomed to, to doing, uh, to having. We're, we're trying to practice charity with one another to, to observe good good behavior for the sake of the community. All, all of that is stamped with the, the stuff of Lent. So in, in terms of Lenten spirituality and devotional practices, I, I think it will be a satisfying Lent in, in, that, re, in that regard. Uh, so the, the bookends of Lent are, the, are some of the more difficult things to consider as well as the, the RCIA uh, considerations. Mm 
like the scrutinies. Uh, so we can just kind of walk, walk through Lent if that's what, what you'd like yes, to do. Yes, I think and, that'd be uh, great. Yeah, and, and uh, kind of examine these things. And I, again, I'm just sharing with you my thoughts. Mm -hmm. These are going to, you know, the, the solutions people choose are going to differ from one diocese to another, uh, one pastor to another. And it's, so I'm throwing ideas out and as, as everybody needs at this, at this point. So first, with regard to to Ash Wednesday, uh, I, uh, right now we, it's still a bad idea to do this much human contact. We're 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 accustomed to have thumb to forehead contact on Ash Wednesday, something we never thought about in the past as being potentially dangerous to do. But here we are. Uh, there, the the rubric for the distribution of ashes is an interesting one. If you look at it now with with the eyes of what we know, it, it says that, that the priest places ashes on the head of the person who, who presents themselves. So uh, sprinkling ashes on top of someone's head, in the hair or on the bald pate, that is a perfectly acceptable interpretation of that rubric. And it is the way that ashes are distributed in some other countries, but we are not accustomed to seeing that. And I, I, a lot of Catholics in, in this country are rather proud of their ashes. You know, we, we like to get to mass early on Ash Wednesday so we can show up at work and with our friends and kind of you know, show we, we, we did it. We checked this, this <laughs> off our list. Now, the, the, the upside of that is it's a great evangelical opportunity because we are letting people know that the cross means something to us. And uh, the, the downside is it, it can be a little bit self-promoting, you know, which is exactly what the gospel for Ash Wednesday asks us not to do. You know, the, the gospel is all about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, do your fasting in private, uh, wash your face, it literally says, wash your face so people don't know you're fasting. So we're if, if we observe this with ashes on top of the head this year, we'll, we'll actually have a more internalized experience of, of Ash Wednesday than we have in the, in the past. So I, I think it's, it's something that, that can work. Some others have, have asked, what about using an implement like a cotton swab or a cotton ball to, to put ashes on the forehead? Um, I see no, no objection to that. I don't think the Vatican has weighed in on it. I doubt that they will. This is a sacramental, not a sacrament. So it, it probably doesn't need the high level response that uh, confirmation did, for example, when we learned uh, earlier this or last year that we could apply uh, uh, an instrument for, for the administration of confirmation. But I, so I think somebody could do it, but that's gotta be single use. So uh, every cotton swab will have to be discarded right away. And then you have to think about how do you dispose of those? Uh, you know, and, and I think it's just, you dispose of them with, with normal reverence. I don't, I don't think people need to be overly concerned. These are ashes we're talking about. Yes, they have been blessed, but, but they are, the point is they're dust. You know, it's it's it is a kind of kind of a nothingness that we uh, we come back back in touch with. 
so those would be some thoughts on, on Ash Wednesday anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With regard to the, the scrutiny rights, uh, these also traditionally involve an imposition of hands. And depending on how, um, how many elect there are, I could, uh, I, I could see in the parishes people uh, kind of have, having the, 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 the priest extend hands over the group without actually physically touching them. Uh, I, I think that would be an easy accommodation that, that is justifiable in the liturgical tradition. Again, I don't think we'll have many, uh, many directives on this. The other thing people, people should re, uh, know is that the, the elect are supposed to receive all three scrutinies. And if they don't, the, they're supposed to get permission from the bishop not to be at one or two of the of the scrutinies. Now, uh, I think that's something that a bishop in a diocese could could easily do. He could easily dispense of two scrutinies for for the catechumens, and uh, they can be arranged at some other time. They don't have to be at a Sunday mass. If if need be, a priest or a deacon may conduct the scrutinies apart from mass with a small group and 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 accomplish what what needs to to be done. Uh, in terms of other people imposing hands, that would, obviously that would just not be a good idea, right? Right now, as I could back up for a moment to the right of election, because we're we're still figuring this out in our own diocese. Mm -hmm. We think uh, a number of people will not be coming. We have traditionally done a combined right of election and call to and yeah, the call to continuing conversion for catechumens and candidates. But this year we are going to do just the right of election at the cathedrals. So those who uh, are uh, unbaptized, they will be invited with a godparent and someone from the parish, some representative from the parish, but that's pretty much it. We're trying to keep the numbers very low. They will not shake the hand of the bishop during, during the ceremony. Uh, they will sign the book. We're asking them to bring their own pens so we don't uh, share share pens for the for the book signing. Mm -hmm. uh, now th there are other solutions to this, and uh, the 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 right of election permits uh, the the signing of the names to take place in parishes. So that could happen in the sending the right of sending to the right of election, where the names could be written down and then submitted to the to the to the diocesan observance. Uh, I, I don't have a clear answer to the question, can a, a catechumen be represented by a proxy or is just sending the name sufficient for it? It certainly is not ideal for a, a catechumen to have a proxy and it's not ideal for the catechumen not to be there. Mm -hmm. But we have to make some accommodations uh, during during the pandemic and th those may be accommodations that, that have to be taken on. Um, with regard to the two presentations, the presentation of the Lord's Prayer and of the of the Creed, they're actually in the in the other order. The Creed comes first. Uh, again, I would I would remind people that these are not physical presentations of a document. I think some some people thought that because of the word presentation, it meant that you frame the Creed and present it to them, but the the creed is given orally by the, by the people who are there. 
So there shouldn't be any difficulty with the, with the presentation. The same is true of the Lord's Prayer. There it's given by the priest who presides for that celebration. He, he presents it in the recitation of the gospel. And it's the only place I know where there is not a, uh, a permission or, or even an encouragement for the deacon to, to proclaim the gospel because the, the priest is the presider and he is presenting the Lord's Prayer. So he, he does it uh, as he's proclaiming it with the elect standing nearby. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are some things that, would, um, that should be able to, to take place as usual as long as social distancing requirements are are observed for, for, for these rituals. With regard to Holy Week, I, I really haven't thought through that yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, this is early January when we're, when we're talking, and right. uh, I think we'll, we'll know more by the time April gets here, but mm-hmm. these, are, these are things I'm anticipating. With regard to Palm Sunday, last year we did not distribute palm branches, and I, I imagine that that it could happen at the conclusion of the Palm Sunday liturgy. I think now we're we're a little more. I'm seeing a little more freedom about passing things out when mass is over. If people are going from mass to the car, but still with with the numbers uh, of attendance down, we we can't put very many people into our churches, so not many people can come to to pick up the the branches. Do you foresee if the numbers were still high and limit you know? capacity was still limited in places, do you think it would be a suitable alternative to provide pickup for Palm at a separate time if they, if those who were watching virtually or praying at home because the obligation was lifted in their diocese? I think, I think you could very easily. I, the, the idea of the Palm branches is that they get blessed during the, the mass, which can happen very easily. And then if people wanted to pick up from the parish office, some other time during the week, I I think that's fine. Um, but but again, you'd have to follow local legislation on this. Yes. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm speaking yes. out of the legislation currently in force in our own diocese, where we just recently got permission for ushers to pass out bulletins as people leave the church if the mm. ushers are wearing gloves. And the same with the 2021 calendars. They, they may mm-hmm. do that if they are wearing gloves. But I can see where those rules would, would change uh, from one diocese to another yes. uh, around, the, around the country. I agree. Yeah. Check with your diocese on this especially too. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. For, uh, for the principal Holy Week celebrations for Holy Thursday, again, I, I don't see how we can do the washing of the feet uh, again this year. I think it's just too risky. Uh, I wouldn't substitute anything for it. I would just have it not done. It is not a requirement for the liturgy. It is beautifully expressive and we we yearn to do it, but this this probably is not going to be the, the year for that. Uh, procession with the Blessed Sacrament can happen. Uh, adoration can happen as long as we follow rules that we have had in place. We, we've learned a lot in, in the last, last nine or ten months. And then uh, for for Good Friday, uh, again, there as with last year, we, we would not be able to have people individually touch or kiss a cross. That would that would cause more difficulties. So um, 
the, what, what the liturgy provides is the opportunity for the, the presider to lift the, the, the cross for the adoration of the people at once. And I'm, I'm sure that's probably gonna be encouraged uh, again this year. The vigil presents multiple difficulties, especially because of the uh, you know, processing in the dark when you know, pe people can't see one another and they need to be attentive to the bodies that are around them. Uh, the, uh, the length of the service, because you don't wanna have people in church for very long. Um, yeah, this, this is probably a year when the number of readings will be kept shorter than, than usual. With regard to the initiation rites, we have learned how to baptize uh, over the past year. Uh, fresh water for everyone. Uh, it, we won't be able to do baptisms by immersion, I'm sure. We'll, uh, we'll have to do all of them by pouring and the water that we pour out cannot be reused. That has to be, has to be discarded of in, the, you know, in, in some reverent way. Uh, confirmations, as I mentioned earlier, we do have permission now to use uh, an instrument, uh, but it, it's also possible for the, the priest who's confirming to confirm with his thumb. It's just that he would have to sanitize uh, his thumb after every confirmation. If there's a small enough group, that's that's not a bad solution. If it's if it's very large, that may be more than more than he wishes to do. Uh, communion is probably going to be under one form instead of two, so the you know, the initiation rites won't quite have the impact that they they normally have, the, the richness they have, but they will always be meaningful. They will, um, they, they will accomplish what, what they set out to do. So there's a quick overview. Would you mind just clarifying um, some of the options or the option for an instrument in the case of confirmation? Yeah, the, uh, the instrument would be a cotton ball or a cotton swab, but that would that, that would usually be considered the the uh, the instrument that that is that's acceptable. The the same uh, difficulties uh, present themselves where, uh, uh, as, as I was discussing for Ash Wednesday, but uh, there's more of a concern because sacred chrism is, you know, it's 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 consecrated, not just blessed. So there's there's a powerful prayer that that is a uh, that accompanies the, the making of chrism each year. So the um, to use a, uh, an instrument would be would be fine, but it has to be replaced each time. So the priest could use a cotton ball on the um, on the forehead. He could also uh, take uh, a cotton swab, dip it in chrism, and and uh, and use it on the forehead. But each one would have to be replaced. And those should be discarded in some reverent way, ideally by burning, uh, if that is if that's a possibility. Somebody lives in, a, in an area where where that that could be done, or kept for next year's Easter fire, so, something like that. But ideally, it would be it'd be good if someone could take the responsibility to have have those instruments burned. That would that would be the the best. Mm -hmm. As I heard you kind of break apart the, the complexities and the nuances that we have to be especially aware of this year uh, if we look towards Triduum. It was interesting to me because as you were saying these things, of course, like many situations, I thought, okay, well, what did we do last year? Of course, you know, we always try and refer to what we did previously. And 
I had forgotten that at least in my diocese, I'm not sure how it was for you, but actually we were closed. Um, it, the diocese was not allowing public masses at that point. And so Triduum was actually congregationless for lack of a better term. Correct. And so it's, it's so interesting this year to think about how to keep people safe in those incredibly holy experiences because truthfully, at least in my diocese, we didn't have to think about that last year. It was really, you know, minimal. It was ministers only, clergy. And so this year it really does add that human experience back, which to me, honestly, I, I very much missed. But I do think it has this level of complexity that we so need to be aware of for safety. You're exactly right. Uh, I, I don't know how to predict the attendance at these. You, usually we've got plenty of room at at the Holy Week services. So I'm, I'm guessing that will also be true. But uh, in the United States, a bishop may permit a second celebration of the Holy Thursday Mass of the Lord's Supper and the Good Friday celebration of the Passion. So, so he could do that if, if the ministers and the parish were up to doing it twice and, uh, and the demand was that high from, uh, from people who wanted to attend. Let me ask too, kind of going a little bit off track, how were, how was attendance in your diocese in general um, for Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? You know, we, uh, we had strong attendance, but, uh, but we also had limited attendance. So we, we for example, here at, at the cathedral where I'm the pastor, we, we put a cap on the number of people who could come and um, and even of those, not too many of them came. You know, maybe maybe half of those who signed up, two thirds of those who signed up actually came. Uh, so we had smaller crowds, uh, but it was you know it's Christmas. It's lovely. Uh, it's not at all the way that we we like Christmas to go. But people all understand. You know, I, I, I'm sure they will all be anxious to come back and celebrate with us when it when it becomes possible to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so too. Well, as we wrap up, are there any other closing thoughts too that have been on your mind, even maybe working backwards and thinking again into ordinary time in these next coming weeks, baptism of the Lord? Um, are there any reflections that you've been having lately that you could leave us with? Well, uh, I mean, one one thing I, I I mentioned on my blog, you you mentioned this as well, is with regard to the. Uh, blessing of throats. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the book of blessings permits the priest to bless the entire congregation at once at the conclusion of the universal prayer, the prayer of the faithful for that mass. So that's usually when we go forward to bless throats individually with candles. But this year, the, the, the great irony is that the very method we use to pray for healing could cause sickness. Mm. So we, uh, we, we have to come up with another solution for that. And uh, the Book of Blessings provides it. Again, it won't be satisfying to people who are used to having uh, an individual blessing, mm -hmm. but it, it is what we can do this, this year. And, and so we'll, we'll do it. Uh, so the priest gives the blessing without candles, uh, arms extended over, over the congregation and says it as the concluding prayer to the, to the universal prayer. So it's just another way that, that people can do it. 
I appreciate the wisdom and the insight of the Book of Blessings to provide that as an alternative. Um, I'm sure that when the authors of the Book of Blessings were sitting down, they never would have thought that we would have needed it due to a, a pandemic like COVID-19. No, no, you just, you can't predict these things. So many things that we we thought were going to, to be uh, common uh, just aren't. And, uh, you know, so we, we've we've learned how much we've taken for granted over the years. Well, this will definitely be a different season as we look into ordinary time in, in Lent. But at the same time, like you said, maybe actually very appropriate and fitting, at least during the Lenten season, to have that scaled back, to have that look almost in the desert, if you will. I think it actually will be very introspective. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it will be, I, I think people will... Um, We've been living the longest Lent in, in anyone's memory this, this year uh, as, as a community. So I, I think it will, it will stitch together rather, rather nicely um, in, in the next couple of months. And uh, Easter should feel like a, a real resurrection from the tomb if, if the virus does start to, to uh, show its weakness by that time. We're going to have many reasons to rejoice and, and to give thanks to God. Amen. Father Paul has a blog in which he addresses questions submitted by his readers, including those which we addressed today. I recommend that you subscribe to his blog and stay in the loop and maybe submit a question of your own. For more information about Father Paul, including the links to his blog, visit the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of When John Baptized in Jordan's River was produced by Oregon Catholic Press, and our theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's podcast episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.